to Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses with Mary Graham, Julie Musselman, and Mary Beth Finster. We are on day 24 of Father Michael Gately's book, 33 Days to Morning Glory. It is a do-it-yourself retreat in preparation for Marian consecration. And today is kind of a neat day. Today and tomorrow, we have a little mini retreat inside of the retreat. So today is day one of what's called Mary's Retreat. And it reads like this. During this retreat, we've been pondering in our hearts certain truths of our faith that relate to Marian consecration. One might say we're on a kind of pilgrimage of faith leading up to consecration day. During her earthly life, Mary, too, was on a kind of retreat and pilgrimage of faith. She, too, pondered in her heart different truths related to Marian consecration. After all, she didn't discover all at once her vocation to be a spiritual mother in mediatrix. Like us, Mary needed to walk by faith while pondering in her heart. She, too, needed a time of preparation regarding her special role as our mother in the order of grace. Because Mary's maternal mediation is so central to a proper understanding of Marian consecration, we're going to spend the next few days making a retreat within our retreat. We'll do this by peering in on Mary's retreat. In other words, we're going to accompany Mary along the way that God led her to progressively discover her vocation to be our spiritual mother and mediatrix. In some sense, Mary's retreat actually begins at the Annunciation. By her yes to God, her fiat, she accepted her vocation to be the mother of Jesus. But did she also know that she was accepting the call to be the spiritual mother to all Christians as well? Father Gately writes that he doesn't know, but what he does know is that the whole mystery of the Annunciation gave Mary something amazing to ponder, something that happens to be deeply related to Marian consecration and entrustment. Let me put it this way. Who was the first person to entrust himself to Mary? It wasn't St. Louis de Montefort. It was God the Father. John Paul explains, for it must be recognized that before anyone else, it was God himself, the Eternal Father, who entrusted himself to the Virgin of Nazareth, giving her his own son in the mystery of the Incarnation. Mary surely marveled at this act of humility on God's part. As she marveled and pondered it, might she have begun to have some inkling that God would later want the people he came to redeem to follow his example. Mary had many other things to ponder during her preparation to be ever more completely our mother in the order of grace. If we look at the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they offer several points of reflection that speak to Mary's spiritual motherhood. Take, for example, the passage in the Gospel of Mark, that's in chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. This is where Mary and Jesus' cousins are outside, wanting to see Jesus. So they send for him and call to him. Jesus responds by asking, Who are my mother and my brethren? Then, looking at those sitting around him, he says, Here are my mother and my brethren, whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. In giving this response, was Jesus being a bad son? No, he was being exactly the kind of son his father wanted him to be. At the same time, he was preparing his mother for who he wanted her to be. Specifically, he was revealing to her the new filial bond of the kingdom that goes beyond the bonds of the flesh. In other words, he was pointing out the primacy of the spirit to the flesh. 
the primacy of the supernatural fatherhood of God to the natural fatherhood or motherhood of man. It's likely that Mary immediately grasped some of what Jesus was trying to teach her. After all, for years she had pondered in her heart another strange response of Jesus, the one he gave when she found him in the temple after three days of sorrowful searching. Did you not know I must be about my father's business? Jesus answered her in Luke chapter 2, verse 49. During his public ministry, Jesus was indeed completely concerned with his father's business. Now, a key part of this business involved preparing his mother for her new role in God's kingdom. Jesus knew that in the dimension of the kingdom of God and in the radius of the fatherhood of God, Mary's motherhood takes on another meaning. In the words reported by Mark that we read earlier, Jesus points to this meaning. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. We can be sure that Mary pondered this in her heart and that she realized that by these words, Jesus was not rejecting her, but rather preparing her. Can we be sure Jesus wasn't rejecting Mary? Yes, we can. Even if Jesus' words sound like he's rejecting her, they aren't. In fact, If we consider a similar passage in the Gospel of Luke, which is chapter 11, verses 27 through 28, it's clear that Jesus is actually blessing his mother. In this other passage, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to Jesus, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. Jesus responds in a way similar to that we read in Mark. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. At first reading, this may seem like a rebuke of Mary, but it's not. After all, who heard the word of God and kept it better than Mary? Nobody. Thus, Jesus is actually blessing his mother, and she would, and she would have realized it. Mary is an incredible perceptive woman, and she paid close attention to Jesus' every word and action. The subtleties of his teaching were not lost on her. And she progressively came to realize the unfolding mystery of her own unique motherhood. And now we're going to read from a document that the footnote paid on uh, number 88 from the encyclical Redemptoris Mater. And it reads, As the messianic mission of her son grew clearer to her eyes and spirit, Mary herself as a mother became ever more open to that new dimension of motherhood which was to constitute her part beside her son. Had she not said from the beginning, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word from Luke 1, verse 38. Through faith, Mary continued to hear and to ponder that word. In a sense, Mary as mother became the first disciple of her son, the first to whom he seemed to say, Follow me. What a joy it must have been for Jesus to have one disciple who fully understood him. What a consolation to his heart to find such attentiveness to God's word. Well, tomorrow we'll reflect more on Mary's attentiveness and how it led her to discover yet another aspect of her part beside her son in his work of salvation. This part does indeed involve, as John Paul wrote, a new dimension of her motherhood. Thus at Cana, we'll see that she gives birth to the faith of Jesus' disciples by initiating his first miracle, which comes through her motherly attentiveness to human need. 
And so today's prayer that we'll ponder throughout the day is, Come Holy Spirit, living in Mary, help me to be faithful to heart-pondering prayer, as was Mary. Amen. The one thing that stands out so strongly to me in this reading is how many times has somebody said something to us, or worse yet, we've read an email or a text message and completely misinterpreted the intent of, of the person sending the message? That is so true. That happens, unfortunately, way too much, particularly with email and, and texting and things where we're shortening our thoughts mm-hmm. or not uh, giving, they can't hear the tone of our voice. And, and that's yes. something really to take into consideration when we're looking at those two scripture passages where Jesus's tone of voice would have had to have been so loving and kind when mm-hmm. he was saying, who are my mother and brother? And, you know, whoever does the will of God is mother and brother and sister. I, I think to have been there live, you would have for sure understood the meaning very clearly there and, and 20 centuries later, it's, it's a little bit harder for us to just read those words on the page. And I think, Julie, that's why it's so important to try to incorporate Scripture study into your life somehow, mm-hmm. because when, you know, the Synoptic Gospels, without the, the direction of, of trained biblical scholars to help us and guide us, I know that these passages that we just read are jammed-packed, especially because of the word woman that, you know, needs to be unpacked by those that have the 2,000-year tradition uh, <laughs> teaching of the Church, and not not just my opinion. It reminds me so much, and I feel like this is such an overused example, but I know we've all heard it, where you can say, I love you, or I love you, or I love you. Each one has a different meaning. <laughs> the emphasis. <laughs> Based yeah. on where we put the emphasis, yes. So you can take the same with those passages and put a different emphasis on a different word or portion of the passage, and you get a different meaning out of it. And I think that's more of a point now, Mary, because back in ancient Jewish times, the oral word was everything. And it was oral. It was oral because there was Mm -hmm. no written document. So these words were translated and, and procured through the generations orally now, with with all the type of communication, this this is such an important thing that you bring up, just the interpretation. And the baggage that we bring to the table also affects how we hear it. That's right. The foundation that we bring. We had a long reading today, so our discussion time is actually pretty short. It is time that we do take a break. We will be back with questions from the Retreat Companion on 33 Days to Morning Glory on Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses. If you're enjoying this programming on Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses, help us out. This is a listener-supported ministry, a listener-supported radio station. If you would like to help support this ministry, you can make a donation at realliferadio.com. That's realliferadio.com. Check out the Care to Share page. Kind of a unique opportunity to give twice. I also want to remind you that once consecration is completed, we will go back to our regular programming in which we hear people's stories. We hear about people's lives and where they're at in their faith walk and what's brought them to that point. Everybody has a story and every story is worth telling. I would love to hear your story. To be a guest on the Living Witnesses program, email mary at cultureoflifemedia.com. That's mary at cultureoflifemedia.com. We are going to get into the retreat companion for the 33 Days to Morning Glory. Do it yourself retreat right after this on Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses. 
Living Witnesses with Mary Graham, Julie Musselman, and Mary Beth Finster. We are continuing day one of our two-day mini-retreat within our retreat. It is day 24 of the actual retreat itself, and we're in the workbook, The Retreat Companion, 33 Days to Morning Glory by Carol R. Younger. Question number one. As Pope John Paul II teaches, was the first to entrust himself to Mary, giving her his own son in the mystery of the Incarnation. What humility! The Creator entrusts himself to his creature. And so, we too imitate the Son by humbly entrusting ourselves to the care of the Mother of God. What is true humility? How humble are you? What instances in your life can you cite as opportunities for the practice of humility? Were you aware at the time that you needed to exercise humility? Well, before we get into humility, because that's, that's a huge, <laughs> but I just, I want to outline that first sentence as John Paul the II teaches. This is important, and this is what's so exciting to be doing this week with John Paul II, St. John Paul II. He's a pope, and he's a saint. So with that, there is, as Father Gately mentioned, the just the authenticity of what he is opening our hearts to and our eyes to. This comes with the weight of not just a pope, but a saint. And that, that just, like everything coming out of his mouth, like when you have that kind of teacher, you want to listen. And Mary, the, the name of your show is Living Witnesses, and I can't think of mm-hmm. a, a more powerful witness than John Paul, whose life spanned from 1920 to 2005, pretty much the entire uh, 20th century, and what an impact he made because so many people saw him live. He visited so many people. So you're right, Mary Beth, he's a pope, he's a saint, but he also had that that charism and that charisma as he went around the world so that so many people really had a a way to touch him and to know him and to see him. And I'm not dodging the humility part of this yeah, question. Yeah, you go. Because <laughs> here, I, no, I just, I, I want, the whole thing with John Paul II that so many people, never in history, had that many people, now that he's a saint, I mean, what we need to recognize is that most people, everyone listening, has either, has lived during the pontificate during John Paul II, and, and that's huge, and we have so many of his writings, and how often, like with the great saints that you may, you know, they may have lived in the 400s, or the, and sometimes mm-hmm. you can't relate, especially our youth, relating to a, a saint that lived when they may have been born. Um, certainly the, the young generation now, they remember the World Youth Days and all, all these things. Well, the other thing, too, though, is he sets such a beautiful example of humility, And it's all been captured on video. Unlike the other great saints of the past, we can't go back and watch the movie of them. That's right. The video and the the pictures are tremendous to be able Mm -hmm. to look at. Whereas we get to see the we get to see it in in real life on video of what humility should look like. So let's get to humility and and let's start off first of all by saying what humility is not, because I think that can be very helpful. Humility is not Mm being a doormat and saying, everybody walk all over me, my life doesn't matter, and, you know, poor me, I stink, that is not humility. I think I heard once the word humility described as truthfulness. What is the situation in all truthfulness? And somebody could be extremely humble 
and say, for instance, I have the gift of being able to organize, or I have the gift of being able to sing, or I have the gift to do this or that. And that is humility, because that is truly something that they've been gifted with. Pride comes up more, I think, when we're talking about gifts we don't have, or making the gifts we do have seem like they're some tremendous thing and putting it out in front of everybody's face. So humility means being honest with ourselves. Where are we at? What do we have? What are we lacking? And then resting in that, I think, and being, it's a little uncomfortable to be in that place of humility, but when we can rest in that and know that we are the creature, God created us exactly as we are, and he's given us all these tremendous graces and blessings for our lives, then we can move forward in that grace. And humility comes from the word humus, which is of the ground. And when you think of the human body, we stand on our feet. Standing on the groundwork, the foundation, and down to the earth of humility is where we want to stand. Our firm, not the Pride is the one that te- sand that tears us away and destroys us. So how do you do some exercises in humility? I just thought of a couple things um, real quick. First of all, not having the last word, uh, not having your opinion, giving your opinion maybe, and that's not to say that we don't speak Mm -hmm. out when we need to speak out, but in inconsequential matters, can we let somebody else have their way or... Those would be just two quick things that come to mind. Well, and I think just in this week alone, I've heard this. We have two ears and one mouth. I've heard it probably ten times. (laughs) And the message is coming. (laughs) It is. It's like every person I listen to says that. And that's so true. uh, And I've also put a quote, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And I've put that quote in our house just to remind ourselves as as family members, you know, stop putting yourself first. And it's so hard to teach. But if you can't do it in your home first, you're not going to be able to walk outside and do it with people that don't really care about you. A good example that we can all relate to on this is how many times has somebody told us to do something and we already planned on doing it and then we feel tension and kind of anger because we thought, well, they're going to think I'm doing it just because they said it. Or I'm not going to do it and, because they said it. <laughs> <laughs> right. The important thing is, is just do it. And if they feel like you listen to them, look at it from that perspective, let them see that you heard them. So you can actually take that feeling of, of kind of tension and, and turn it around to, to feelings of, yeah, I'm doing the right thing because I'm, I'm letting them know I heard them. And it takes away those feelings. It, it, can, it can reduce those, those tensions and those hard feelings that you might have otherwise that you were told to do something that you were going to do anyway. So let's move on to question number two. Mary's motherly attentiveness to the details of the couple being married at Cana begins Jesus's public life with the miracle of the water become wine. The lack of wine has been described as a symbol of the lack of joy in human life without God's grace. What human needs might Mary be attentive to and then bring to Jesus for his miraculous intervention if she were invited to in your home today? We're, we're talking here about the wedding feast at Cana, and, and that's from uh, St. John's Gospel, Chapter 2. And I think we're going to be talking more about Cana tomorrow, so I don't want to go too much into the Cana story at this point right now, Mary. But I do like to just go over real quickly, they're at the wedding feast. 
the young bride and groom run out of wine, and it's Mary that notices what happens there, and then she is the one that tells Jesus about it and, and basically asks him to do something about it. So in this particular question, we're looking at Mary's attentiveness to the details of life. And I think that is something that we really are gaining a knowledge of and an awareness of as we're moving towards our consecration, is that Mary is involved in the details of our daily life. One one really silly example I can point to from my own life is going shopping with a teenage daughter, to me, is just a tremendous difficult thing to do and uh, a couple of times I've just prayed before we go you know Lord Mary please help me find that dress that is going to be pretty and modest and affordable that we have to have by tomorrow's date you know (laughs) that kind of prayer and so often I I've just seen the attentiveness of her motherly hand you know, pointing us to the right store or looking at a rack that we wouldn't have looked at and, and just finding something that, that fit that particular need. I have a, another story back in 2010, which was the first year that I ever did the consecration. It really affected how I handled this situation. For several years, I'd been feeling a calling to have a fifth child. And when that wasn't happening because of my age, you know, I had heard, just felt the calling of adoption. But, you know, by ha- having this consecration to Mary and, and receiving these types of um, just spiritual graces, it gave me a peace that when we eventually did foster a child, you know, a lot of friends would say, gosh, how can you do that? Aren't you afraid that, you know, you get to love this child and then they'll be taken from your home? And it was amazing that by doing the consecration and, of course, all the things that that our faith teaches us with the sacraments and and the Eucharist and, and, of course, the Word of God, but all of these combined together gave me a peace that if I was not doing the will of God. Like if God did not will for this child to be in our home, then I didn't want the child to be permanently in our home. And she had something so much better in store for me than having my own biological child, which I really wrestled with. I really thought we were supposed to have another child. And, and I know there may be a lot of listeners out there that may be struggling with, you know, maybe can't conceive and things like that. So, Mary has it a better plan always in store if we just are patient and, and follow the will of God. It is time we wrap up this section of our program. We will be back with questions number three and four from the Retreat Companion from 33 Days to Morning Glory on Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses. One kiss betrayed. I kiss the storm
Life Radio's Living Witnesses with Mary Graham, Julie Musselman, and Mary Beth Finster. We are continuing with our questions from the Retreat Companion from 33 Days to Morning Glory. Question number three on page 100 reads, The attentiveness of Mary to the details of God in every experience allowed her to accept each new dimension of her spiritual motherhood, her personal mediation within the mediation of Christ. When has your attentiveness to detail given you insight into what God wanted of you in a specific situation? How did the details become apparent to you? And did you give thanks to God at the time for his gift of insight? Well, I have something very specific with this, uh, and directly from the consecration that I've done in the past and Father Gately's second book, Consoling the Heart of Jesus, and learning more about divine mercy. You know, at the time that my husband passed away, I didn't know anything about divine mercy. And even when my mother passed away, I still didn't know anything about divine mercy. My father passed away. I, I knew to pray the chaplet, so I was growing slowly. Now, just by unpacking all of this, I have found myself at the bedside of my friends with, um, you know, as, as our parents age, that's a very common thing now of parents passing away, and just being able to be that spiritual support for them, utilizing divine mercy, and of course, many other aspects of prayer that can just give such comfort uh, to those in those situations. Well, when someone is sick or has a loved one that's dying, they're not thinking of all this. I mean, your mind is just a mess. You're, there's so much going on in there, and that's a real gift when a person uh, like Mary Beth, and, and there's others in our parish too who some of them coordinate the meals or some of them get to the, the carpool for the kids and, and those details. But that spiritual part is so very important because someone who is near death their time is running out for them to draw close to the to the throne of grace. And by teaching them about the chapel to divine mercy and how efficacious that is for the dying, and, and we have a friend right now who has a very sick loved one, and we set our alarms for 3 o'clock every day, and we're praying that in union together for, for that friend. And, and just that small detail, and it's very beautiful. I think as we look at this gift of insight, we need to give thanks to God because as we are picking up on some of these clues, some of these God incidences that we talked about a couple days ago instead of coincidences, we can see with the eyes of faith, oh wow, gosh, I was there at that particular time doing that and that played this part of the puzzle or that piece of the the whole thing that was going on. And, And that to me is really a great grace when you do see those instances in your life where a certain thing happened at a certain time. And as we reflect on those and take those to prayer, it really does fill our hearts with thanksgiving to God because so many things in our lives, I think everyone can look back and say, gosh, I hated at the time when such and such happened. And now years down the road, we can see, wow, God really used that for good, or that was part of a journey or a turn in the road for me. And these insights and graces have also helped me to not look back and regret for those family members and loved ones that I didn't know at the time. I I just feel such thanksgiving mm-hmm. now that when I do get the opportunity to be with someone, to, to be able to offer those kinds of uh, prayers, 
and, and understand it and understand what I'm doing and leading those and maybe handing out a divine mercy card or something that they may not have known at the time. It, it's wonderful, but it's just so important to not look back and say, oh, I didn't know to do that. God and his infinite mercy has enveloped your loved one and, and when they have taken their last breath and, and whether you've known at the time, he knew. That's where Mary comes in. She was praying all along for, for them. And let's talk about just our own sins of the past, too, Mary Beth. You know, all of us have sins in our past that can really hold us from moving forward. And if we dwell on those, or why did I do that, or I I can't believe I hurt that person in that way, or did this terrible deed, that really um, has always and forever been in the mind of God as part of our own journey, too. And he will take those dark spots and weave them into a, a beautiful tapestry for us, and through grace, through our own looking for that blessing that comes from sin, oh, happy fault, we say, you know, of Good Friday with Jesus, then we can move forward and, and walk in that trust that we're going closer to God with Mary holding her hand. Question number four reads, when have you most powerfully experienced heart-pondering prayer during this preparation retreat for consecration to Jesus through Mary? What spiritual fruit or insight has it produced in you? Has your love of Jesus grown? How can you tell? This is a great question. It's very personal. So everyone an- everyone's answer is going to be their own. Uh, we've heard so many people tell us as they've been going through the consecration that the the way that the retreat works, where you have a, a little verse each day to pray and you meditate on that throughout the day, really has been helping people to go deeper in heart-pondering prayer. And I know so many people have received very specific blessings from it uh, how about to those of us who have consecrated already? Is Was there something in a past consecration as well as with this one that we're in the middle of now that we're seeing fruit come from or insight? Doing the consecration at different times of the year, I've had the experience of doing it during Advent, during Lent. I've done it during a time when I needed to discern a decision with my daughter on an important decision, a variety of different times of the year. I've especially enjoyed doing it during the rich, fruitful seasons of Advent and Lent because it makes a wonderful companion to the readings that are already preparing us for our Lord. Um, But every time I do it, I find that season, well, that's just the right time for me. So I think that that's just important wherever, whenever someone's listening to this, it's God calling you at that right moment, going back to the very, what yesterday was, there's no God uh, happenstances are all, these incidences are all divinely ordained and, and perfect timing. As we've talked about the Marian feast days and getting to know the church's liturgical year, too, once you've consecrated a couple of times, you really do hone in on those feast days, you know, whether you consecrate on March 25th for the Annunciation or July 16th, Our Lady of Carmel, or January 1st, Mary the Mother of God. It really does link you in a very concrete way to that day in secular calendar, but that uh, attribute or 
those qualities of Mary that are particular to those particular feast days as well. And I think that's been a, a real blessing for me. The very first time I consecrated, it was on May 13th with um, Our Lady of Fatima. And so as we were reading the last couple of days with John Paul II and being shot on that feast day, it just made the date come all the more alive to me. And, and have some of that spiritual fruit and insight uh, from having studied and prayed and then being down the road a little bit more as well. And I know, and this is just my own personal heart, my love for Jesus has grown through Mary and opening up and delving into her as a mother, looking at her son, that aspect of it has really particularly helped me as a mother of six children. And if someone out there might have a family or friend that might say, you know, I'm not getting anything out of it, uh, I, I'm really not, I read it, I really just didn't feel anything. Keep uh, going. Keep going. It would be like yes. the imagery of someone saying, I'm going to take up running, and they do it, you know, for a couple days and say, I'm done. I, I, I didn't get anything out of I it. I didn't get, I'm not in shape, <laughs> my heart's not in shape. It, it, I can't tell you by rereading this every time. And reading it like with the two of you and getting in a group. I, it's It's been just mind-boggling and life-altering for me to uh, understand it and just grow and learn with others that have different insight. That's That's been beautiful. Well, I have to be completely honest on this one because the first time I went through it, Julie had shared it with me and she was all excited. And I thought, well, if Julie's excited, I need to be excited too. Julie thinks this is good. Well, then I need to do this too. So I went through it with my family and really none of us really had our heart in it. I just went, oh, I can check that off my list. I did it. (laughs) (laughs) But. And then I, but, but, and then, and then I actually led a group. I almost forgot about this. I'd led a group with the church. And again, I was, and I thought this time I'm going to read it good. I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to going to do a good job, but my life became so chaotic. I literally showed up for my weekly meetings with them and was scattering, trying to keep it organized. But now this time, I'm, I'm amazed that going through this really twice, how much I missed. And Mary, that is such an important point because we tend to feel bad because maybe a friend is excited about it and we don't feel anything. But going back to that running imagery, it's almost like we want to get in shape and how often we still want to go to a fast food joint and eat hamburgers and, and french fries. It's not going to happen. There's many pieces to, to this puzzle. It's not just the consecration. Father Michael Gately is not just saying this is the only thing and this is going to change everything. Right. It, it, when the graces of the full aspects of, of prayer, the sacraments, mass, um, consecration. Uh, yes, I was thinking that exact thing. How often do we go through Mass and think, oh, what was that all about? Whereas if we change our attitude and our approach towards it, what we receive changes. It's amazing, and it's a great journey, and I'm glad to be on it with you, too, and all of our listeners. It is time that we do wrap up for today. This has been the completion of our first day of our little mini retreat within a retreat during Father Michael Gately's 33 Days to Morning Glory on Real Life Radio's Living Witnesses. One kiss betrayed. I kiss the storm that closes you
As we continue on day 24 of preparation, looking at how St. Louis de Montfort prepared for his consecration, we read from True Devotion to Blessed Virgin Mary, paragraphs 152 to 164. This devotion is a smooth, short, perfect, and sure way of attaining union with our Lord, in which Christian perfection consists. This devotion is a smooth way. It is the path which Jesus opened up in coming to us, and in which there is no obstruction to prevent us reaching Him. It is quite true that we can attain to divine union by other roads, but these involve many other crosses and exceptional setbacks and many difficulties that we cannot easily overcome. This devotion is a short way to discover Jesus, either because it is a road we do not wander from, or because, as we have just said, we walk along this road with great ease and joy and consequently with great speed. We advance more in a brief period of submission to Mary and dependence on her than in whole years of self-will and self-reliance. This devotion is a perfect way to reach our Lord and be united to Him, for Mary is the most perfect and most holy of all creatures, and Jesus, who came to us in a perfect manner, chose no other road for His great and wonderful journey. The Most High, the Incomprehensible One, the Inaccessible One, He who has deigned to come down to us poor earthly creatures who are nothing at all. How was this done? The Most High God came to us in a perfect way through the humble Virgin Mary, without losing anything of His divinity or holiness. It is likewise through Mary that we poor creatures must ascend to Almighty God in a perfect manner without having anything to fear. This devotion to Our Lady is a sure way to Jesus and to acquire holiness through union with Him. The devotion which I teach is not new. Indeed, it could not be condemned without overthrowing the foundations of Christianity. It is obvious, then, that this devotion is not new. If it is not commonly practiced, the reason is that it is too sublime to be appreciated and undertaken by everyone. This devotion is a safe means of going to Jesus Christ, because it is Mary's role to lead us safely to her Son. And again, St. Louis de Montfort has us praying the Litany of the Holy Ghost, followed by the Litany of Laredo. As we pray the Litany of Laredo with Donna Corey Gibson, let's meditate questions one and two on page 99 of our retreat companion from 33 Days to Morning Glory. Question number one, what is humility? How humble are you? What instances in your life can you cite as opportunities for the practice of humility? Were you aware at the time that you needed to exercise humility? And question number two, What human needs might Mary be attentive to and then bring to Jesus for his miraculous intervention if she were invited to in your home today?
St. Louis de Montfort's devotion continues with Ave Maria Stellis. We're going to hear that sung by Marion Grace. You can find her music at lovegoodmusic.com. As we meditate on questions three and four, question number three, what was your attentiveness to detail giving you insight into what God wanted of you in a specific situation? How did the details become apparent to you? Did you give thanks to God at the time for his gift and for his insight? And question number four, when have you most powerfully experienced heart-pondering prayer during this preparation retreat for consecration to Jesus through Mary? What spiritual fruit or insight has it produced in you? Has your love of Jesus grown, and how can you tell? 